welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm your host, Shannon Peel, and today I talked with Johnny Holston about story brand and copywriting for the website in order to tell your brand story and get conversions. We also talked about email marketing along with what it's like to own a business, how to find the right client for your business. If you are a business owner or a brand looking to tell your story, either on your website or via email, this episode is for you. Jody, thank you so much for joining me here on Brand Appeal. And I have one question for you. Yes. What do you want to be known for? Ooh, um, getting right to business. I want, I want to be known as the guy who helped people realize all the great potential in their business and all the great problems that they solve for their customers just by talking through their their customer's story and their marketing messaging. Okay. That's right where I want to be falling at. That's the best part of what we do. When we sit down and we talk to people and we start learning, you know, drawing that story out of them in order to then find the right structure. Because a lot of times people don't understand or how they're speaking, telling their story is actually in the wrong sequence. Hmm. They're missing the actual story. Um, they're missing the hook. You know, there's lots of things to brand storytelling than just coming out and telling me everything that you have to offer. When I talk to customers, the first thing I'm trying to get out of them, the first thing that I'm trying to get them to define in their story, what is the first thing that you're trying to get people to define in their story? The first thing is the problems that they solve. So even though that sounds like non-story related, you can't tell a good story unless there's a problem being solved at the end or a happy ending. So the pro okay. identifying the problems that are being solved is really just a roundabout way of saying, what's the happy ending in your story, um, especially for your customers? The first thing that I need to know, because it kind of creates our open story loop. It's very important because if you don't know the problem you're solving, people don't know why to why they talk to you. So right. I see you got that. I see you got a special book behind you over your yeah. shoulder there. I've talked to a lot of people who have that book and you know just right at hand. I mean, I listen to it all the time. How much of the story brand brand do you use? I use a lot of it in almost every little area. It depends whether or not I'm using it all at once. If we're going to go the full framework, that's a pretty big project, but it doesn't matter. Even if I'm doing an hour of, I guess, consulting with somebody to talk through something, it's almost everything we talk through falls into one of the categories in the building a story brand framework. So I'm fully certified with them. I work with, I, you know, walk the story brand line very closely. It's a blessing and a curse because if people are story brand aware, they're usually extremely on fire about it. And you have to kind of harness that and apply it in the right ways. If they're not story brand aware, sometimes they don't need to know what you're doing, right? That's why they're coming to you for help. I love that. I love the story brand framework. It's so powerful because most people that own a business and they run a business, it's probably because they do something extremely well, probably not because they're a genius marketer. 
So it helps kind of close that gap and bridge that gap and simplify it because everybody can understand storytelling, which is obviously what you're passionate about. So storytelling is like a universal language. That's why I'm such a fan of it. And I know there's people who are coming around on the frameworks. There's some hate and some people don't like it so much. Some people love it. It's kind of funny. But for me, I've, I've found it works so well just to eliminate a lot of the confusion in marketing with, you know, someone says, Hey, I really want to say this. I want to say this. And you have to explain it's, you know, it makes it easy one to explain why we should say what we should say in our marketing, but two, it also helps them kind of transform stuff that they already want to say into the right message. So mm-hmm. I, I love the story brand framework and yeah, I'm all about it. It's important to have a process and structure things. Cause I don't know about you, but each story has its own unique twist, but there still is the structure, the beginning, the middle, and the end. You know, when you're talking and telling a story, what storytelling pieces do you want to make sure are there? Like you were saying problem, the problem, because that's a conflict. Yeah. You know, there's other things that we can have in stories to ensure that they're interesting, to ensure that people want to participate and then they will click that call to action at the end and convert. You know, what are some of the pieces of the recipe that you yeah. think are most important? To me, I think my if if I'm working with somebody, maybe they're not doing the story brand framework formally, but something that I never want to overlook is the stakes of the story. So what bad thing is going to happen if the if the customer doesn't convert? Um, what and of course, we're going to go we're going to paint a picture of the bad thing that could happen. We're not going to say, let's say you're a counselor and the story is is somebody doesn't get counseling and like their life, you know, takes it down. We're not going to talk bad terms. We're going to just going to talk about what's at stake in the short term if you don't get help. That is sort of something that I like to go to is always the stakes because the stakes we know people react to negatives way faster and harder than they do to positive outcomes. So I think becoming really clear on the stakes of what's involved for your customer and then telling a story of what might happen to them if they don't follow the call to action. That's one of my favorite parts, followed by the aspirational identity, which is who they want to be at the end of that story, assuming they avoid the stakes. Well, the stakes are so important. Like right now I'm doing 100 episodes in 100 days Mm -hmm. of Brand Appeal. And I've got stakes, right? My stake is if I don't get this done, then I'm not living in integrity. And that is going to affect my brand. Hmm. Because my brand is that I can do a lot of work and that I'm hardworking and I get the job done. I do what I say I'm going to do. But, you know, there's those days where I'm just like, you know what, this really doesn't matter. Nobody hmm. really cares. Nobody cares whether or not I do this. Nobody cares if my brand's in integrity. Nobody cares if I work hard or if I get the job done. How do you keep going on when when you're in those mindsets where you're going, oh my goodness, like what is the friggin' point? Very similar to yours. It's it's well, your yours is I'm not living in integrity. That's a stake, and that's how high value to mine is. I'm going to go out of business if I don't keep doing everything every day. And I think that's, again, that's a worst case scenario that I wouldn't probably use with like a client because <laughs> we want to be sensitive to like telling people you're like, you're going to go out of business, but I'm a little harder on myself. So that's the stakes for me is, Hey, if you don't do this, you're going to be not have business. And more importantly, which is something that I've kind of, which falls more in line with what you just said that I've become more aware of over the last couple of years is 
I'll be all talk and no game if I don't continue to act out everything I'm doing every day. So that's kind of the stakes. I want to avoid losing my business and I want to avoid being all talk, no game because nobody likes that guy. Of course, talking less helps that, which is something I work on, but also putting action with the words is another thing. So those are my stakes. Well, it's really important to know who you are and what you can deliver before you start talking. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, because then you don't back yourselves into corners. And what types of things are you doing to make sure that you continue to get business? Well, I've got a pretty rigid uh, structure to my days. And part of that is blocked out. There's flexibility there to roll with the punches, of course, um, which we all need Mm -hmm. just to make life feel a little more enjoyable. But a huge part of my morning and early on in the day is, is doing my own marketing and and figuring out what I can do to fill the pipeline and bring in leads. So if I skip that part of my day, then that's when I really feel like I'm not living like, like in, in integrity with who I want to be, because I'm a marketer. If I'm not doing my own, if I'm not, of course I can outsource it as I grow, but if I'm not taking serious action within my own marketing, there's my credibility is gone. So that is a, that's a huge thing I try to do to hold myself accountable. And if, if out of five days a week, if at least four of those days, I'm spending substantial time on, on those few things that I hold myself accountable on, I usually feel pretty good about avoiding the stakes in my story. Well, yeah, because the accountability piece is huge, but you're holding yourself accountable as solopreneurs. We have to hold ourselves accountable. We have to be self-motivating, self-reliant, self-everything. Do you have someone to help you? Yeah, I've got a really good network um, of people who have businesses that are probably 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ahead of mine, which is always kind of motivating. And then people who are maybe a year behind me, two years behind me, which is also motivating. So um, having people on both ends of the spectrum to help provide value to someone who's walking the same path you've already walked, but then also learn from people who are way ahead of you. Because if you learn from other people's mistakes, that's one of the smartest ways to cut trial and error out of your own business. Yeah. Yep. And you know, you were saying that we do, we have to do things every day. One of the things I try to do every day is go onto LinkedIn and find five to 10 posts to make a comment on so that people can see, at least see my brand and, you know, make sure that I'm doing the awareness piece, make sure I'm doing the interest piece, making sure that I'm getting the brand credibility piece. I have to re, you know, there's things that I have to do on my website to, in order to create the brand decision piece. Cause that's not being, I haven't built that piece out yet. It takes time to build out all of these pieces of the brand storytelling funnel. Which part of the funnel do you like playing in? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I like the, like the awareness and the interest level of just providing, just dropping little value nuggets. Um, and then hoping that plant seeds for, not necessarily future work with that person, but more importantly, just future like progress for whatever they're working on. It helps give them a little something to work on and snowball on. The other part that I really like with like working with is, um, and this is, this is less of like 
customer journey, but, and more in messaging and storytelling, but the empathy and authority dynamic of like saying, Hey, I know exactly how it feels to have this problem. Here's a recipe to fix it with falls, you know, falls into the first point, but just doing as many little value drops along the way that help solve issues and get people aware of the problems you solve, and then maybe interested in talking with you more. I think it was hard early on in my business to feel like I had, and I'm only a few years in, so I don't mean to sound like I'm an expert by any means, but it was hard early on to feel like comfortable sharing value because I thought people would think who the heck is, who the heck is this guy? You know, why is he sharing value? I think, I think I've just lately become like more honed in on the the reality that like, I'm just going to shamelessly share value. I encourage everybody to do that. It's the person's responsibility who's receiving it to decide whether or not that value is for them, not for you. So that was something that I've, I think I've become more invested in lately that I really enjoy doing. Um, well, it's really a big piece of the story brand uh, way of doing things is the heroes, actually the customer, you're the Sherpa or the guide. And the only thing you're not making the decision. The customer's making the decision. You're just giving them opportunities and choices. You're just trying to become part of the choice. A hundred percent. Yeah. And if you're, if you're messaging and your story, the story that you're telling is 10 different calls to action. That's not very like helpful. And that's not very like peaceful of us in our, in our storytelling. We want to just be telling a story that invite our customers are invited into the call to action can be a small part of it. Cause if we do a good enough job of telling the story, they're going to want to follow the call to action. And I do a lot of things right. And I do a lot of things wrong. We all have these rights, wrongs, and I'm like the baker without the bread. We have, we have those moments and we, we mm-hmm. kind of think, Oh my goodness, you know, we need, but there isn't enough time in the day. How often are you feeling like, Oh my goodness, how am I going to get it all done? Or do you have a process that you have that goes, I go step one, step two, step three, step four, and I'm done. Oh man, that is a great question. So obviously the answer is no, probably based on my reaction. Uh, I do have a system I try to follow where, and I actually got this from a, a buddy of mine, his name is Brian Schindler, and he he's in a similar line of work as me, but take as many meetings on Monday and Tuesday as possible. So fill my time with the discussion and the talking to people and get the ideas and the action items out into the world. The rest of the week is focused on getting those action items and those things done. Monday and Tuesday is very, very meeting heavy for me. Monday afternoon, I usually have like what I call my marketing blackout, which is an afternoon of my phone is off, everything is blacked out, and I'm writing a blog post. I'm splintering that into social throughout the week. And then the rest of the week, I kind of schedule out that afternoon of marketing work, but then follow up on the action item. I think I started feeling very reactive in my business when I didn't have a structure like that. And I'm not saying this is the winning structure. It just worked for me in the meantime was having like, okay, the early week, we're going to determine what to do the rest of the week. We're going to do it. If something new pops up, we'll reassess on the importance of it. Can we push that to the next Monday or Tuesday, fit it into the next week? Of course, at the end of every day, I still have things that I wish I'd gotten done, but I I tried to, and this came from the book, um, like a business made simple planner, but I try to divide my tasks into like primary tasks, things that must be done before the day is over and things that are secondary tasks that are icing on the cake if you get them done. As that week unfolds, sometimes your secondary tasks they get upgraded to primary tasks as you put them off longer and longer. 
but organizing it like that kind of helps me have a little more of a flow. And I, I just try to schedule out my calendar, what, which task I'm doing at what time. And that's helped me a lot. But even six months ago, I was terrible at that. It takes time. Like I block time, what you're talking, I call it block time mm-hmm. blocking. And this whole podcast can, project has definitely changed my, put everything yes. upside down on me. But we do need to take the time to figure out, okay, and make that plan for ourselves and assess that plan for ourselves and assess it for clients. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sometimes eke out that time when you're busy doing the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it definitely is a fork in the road that I'm approaching is like, how much do I want to be doing the work that I'm doing every day? And how much do I want to just grow the business that I that I run? I'll have to make a decision because you cap yourself. If you love doing the deliverables and you love doing the client work, great. Like make that your full, make that your full schedule if that's what fires you up. But uh, there's got to be, there's going to be little things that you give it, give in order to do that. And that's completely fine. But a lot of it is figuring out your priorities and what you want to be doing. And then like I have gotten in seasons where I've definitely taken on a little too much work and the client, like either the the turnaround time got slowed down or the quality of work got slowed down. So I've been trying as I take sales calls or as I talk to a prospect, just being real with myself, can I fit this into my current workload based on the priorities I've determined? Mm-hmm. Or should I just be real with them and be like, I can't start this for two, three months. And that's okay too. That's something that I had to get used to because early on in the business, it was like any, any work was, you know, that's the, that's paying bills and, and, and it's very, very valuable. So you just do as much as you can, but having the confidence to hopefully build the relationship so you can build stuff out further isn't kind of the next phase of, of my work. But you have to really decide what your priority is. If you want to do the deliverables, then that should be your primary task all day, every day. And then maybe some of the other stuff falls in secondary tasks and that's completely fine. Well, which is the problem because when you're busy doing the work, you don't fill the funnel because you're busy doing client work. You're not filling your own funnel, mm-hmm. which results in not being able, not being able to do work. <laughs> You know, yeah. And that's so. what my Monday afternoons are kind of for. It's like, no matter how much I love doing the client work, I have to stay disciplined and and re- reserving that day for the marketing needed to allow me to be doing mar- uh, you know, client work. But how's the sales? For me, I struggle with that. I worked in professional sales for years, mm. but selling myself isn't a strong suit of mine. Yeah. It takes time to learn how to sell yourself. How was that? How did you, how did you learn how to do that? Or were you just natural? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily I was a nat, I am, and I am not a natural. I think I've, I've had to help me as I develop my business to get really keyed in on making sure my offering was something that I was like very, really believed in. That way, when I talk to people, it doesn't feel like sales. It just feels like I'm helping them. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but I, I early on, and this was a while, this was a long time ago, but I was kind of working in a specific niche and I was doing more like digital ad spend and advertising type stuff. Cause my motivation was like, I want the recurring business of monthly ad spend. Mm-hmm. I found out after long, I'm just like, I, that wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't fired up about that and others are. So others can easily sell that. To me, it felt like I was like trying to get them to sign on to like a monthly bill. And I'm like, as a business owner, I'm like, I just don't like that. I don't like that. So that selling was torturous. I literally hated it, even though it was my own business. 
the more I, I changed my offering into something I, I really liked, I got a little bit better at it, but I still know I leave, I leave money on the table, so to speak, because after the first or second call, I definitely just let them come back to me. Um, and that is, I'm sure, an area where I could probably hire a dedicated salesperson and they would help me. But much like you, it's hard. It's very hard when you're selling yourself. Yeah, it's, I would say that it is. And maybe that's something we can collaborate on in the future and find that person that's really good at it. Yeah, yes, for sure. <laughs> funnel full, because that was you know, I mean, I'm always looking for that collaboration, that partnership where someone enjoys the sales part, but they can't do the work. And yeah. I find people like that, but they're offshoring it more than yep. onshoring it. Or you know what I mean? Like yeah. looking for that quality person who understands, who can work with their, who they can trust to work with their client, talk with, to their client and get that story straight uh that's yeah. a hard person to find that's a hard thing to find because that's a big trust because they're like okay well because i need to talk to the client to draw out the story right yeah a lot of times they want to do all of that and then offshore it to someone and then they run into problems because the person doing the writing or the person doing the the videos or whatever content that we create they're missing something they're missing some communication. They're missing some direction. Something's not sitting because there's that disconnect between the content creator and the client. Yeah, I feel that because when you when you start having different people with their hands on different things, you lose your own touch. So if you're selling yourself and like I've thought like something that I do is I don't work with anybody unless I fit in like five or six different interviews inside of their business with their customers. That's very important to me. It's very special to me and I love doing it. I've always thought if I were to hire someone to do that, like, I'm just like, I just don't think I could ever do it because that's kind of my thing. But it's wrong of me to think that. I think I just need to train someone and be more patient and bring someone on like that. But you do it, enjoy that and you do probably yep. do a better job and, and you are able to get that and then communicate that. But what you're talking about is a little bit different than what I'm talking about. Because you're talking about talking to the, your client's clients to get the story of your client's clients. Yeah, true. Right. I'm just talking about, okay, I'm going to write a blog for you or I'm going to create the story framework for you, mm -hmm. for, your, for your client. Mm -hmm. I kind of need to talk to your client. I don't need to talk to your client's clients. You've probably already done that. You've probably already got all the testimonials and everything like that. And I can read all of that. But there's certain things where I would need to sit down with the client and go, okay, I need you to tell it to me from the beginning so I can write in your voice. I can create video in your voice. And yeah. that's the piece that I think gets missed when we offshore or when we don't have writers talking with the owners of the company or the client, the owner of the company about their stories. Yeah, 100%. The and so I, have, I guess I have a question for you would be, what are your favorite or your go-to methods for kind of harvesting that voice out of the person that you're writing for? Ah, my trick of the trade. <laughs> yes, let's hear it. <laughs> so my trick of the trade is I would have a conversation just like I'm having with you. I would record it just like I'm recording it with you, transcribe it, and then pull from it. Hmm. Utilizing their sentence structure, their words, but then reworking it for the for the written word, because the way that we talk is not inducive 
to the written word. So it has to be rewritten, but it can be rewritten using the words and the language that the client uses. If you ask the right questions, it can be yeah. really, it can be really easy in the end, but if you don't ask the right questions, then there's gaps and all of a sudden things are not in the right place, or you've got two different voices in one article. Yeah. And of course the customer, the client in your case is not going to like reading a different voice that's supposed to be coming from them. Well, it's, if you're, if you write something and it's kind of in the client voice and then you throw in something and somebody else throws in something and then you go back to the, to the recording, it's going to sound disconnected. It's going to sound disjointed. It's, it's not going to flow properly mm. and mm. the person's not going to, no one's going to read it. And if no one's going to read it, why bother writing it? Hmm. Yeah, no one wants to. No one wants to read a story that feels disconnected. Like there's, you know, they want to feel escorted through the whole way. That's very important. I love yeah. that. And you can end up with a disjointed story when you have too many people writing one piece. Hmm. I want to have a say. I want to have a say. I want to have a say. I mean, I I just experienced that with the press release where there was six people plus me. So I wrote the press release. Six people touched it and changed it. And then Oof. it came back to me. Just looking like most of what I wrote was still there. It's just now that there's a new sentence there and there's a new paragraph there and there's a new quote here. Okay. Um, okay. You're the CEO. I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. I, it's almost like having a different director, like six different directors for a movie. You can't do it. There's only one, should only be one director. It might be actors, but many actors, but one director. One vision, I, one voice. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. When you're, when you're doing a story, you have a narrator that narrates it through, you know, there's that one voice that goes through that one vision that goes through the minute yeah. you start getting everyone putting in their two cents worth, you end up with a quilt that has no pattern. So what was the outcome of this press release? How did it, how did obviously not great at the start, but did we come to a happy ending with it? It had a couple beginnings for one story. But okay. A few open loops. <laughs> A few where did this come from you know sometimes. that sounds like a story for another episode on the hundred yeah, like sometimes you days. with clients and you just kind of go okay this is really great and they let you do it and they understand it and they trust you and other times they don't work with you mm. you know you're either the trusted provider and you are in the driver's seat for that part of the project or they're in the driver's seat the whole time and just kind of saying, treating you more like an assistant going, I want you to write this. I want you to write that, but don't give you the information that you need to complete the pr project. Hmm. Yes, that is so true. It is so important when you are writing a story for the clients to provide access, to provide that time, to trust that you, okay, you know what? I need to ask these questions. I need to know what the story is. I can make up a story. I can make up any story. I can make, I can take whatever you've told me, spin it into a story. Sure. I'm good at that. Yeah. So but, how have you, I, 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 that makes me think of something. How have you been disciplined in that? Because you're obviously talented at writing the stories. So if I gave you five little tidbits about me, you write a story about me. No problem. Like you just said, how do you stay disciplined in not rushing the turnaround on the deliverable to say, you know, to check a box and how do you like hold a client accountable and being like, hey, I have not had the time with you to do a good job. You know, has that been uh, ever been a struggle for you? And how have you balanced that? 
yeah, it is because, but I don't really, it's not a matter of balancing it because I'm a lot of times you can't change the clients. Hmm. Hmm. You do the best with what you've got and you hope that you work with them until they're happy. Yeah. That's why it's so important to pick, to get your business to a point where you can pick and choose your clients. Amen. Right. Because some clients are going to work with you better than other clients based on your own personality, your own way of working, your own um, comfort level with conflict or those uncomfortable conversations. Hmm. But even in how they see you, because sometimes people will come to you and it all has to do with other people's egos. You know, some people come to you thinking they know everything and they're just going to tell you how to do it. And this is what I want. And that's what you give them because that's what it is. Now, could it have been better? Yes. Could it have been something really impactful? Of course, but I'm not the right person if you need someone to push back. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds, it sounds like, honestly, that almost circles back to the sales to the sales type type stuff we were talking about is you can't say yes to every lead. Right. <laughs> Otherwise you're going to make your life a living hell dealing with everybody. Yeah. It's very important that you know your own value system, that you know yourself. Like hmm. I know I am good at what I do. I can ask the questions. I can understand what you're trying to say, but you're not saying hmm. for whatever reason, because hmm. you just, can't get the words or you don't understand how to form it and I can come back and I can say it succinctly and we're really good at listening but I'm not an assertive aggressive person yeah and I know that about myself I work with people in the way that they show up some people will show up and say hey you're the expert you know what you're doing Mm. what do you need from me and other people will show up and say hey I'm the expert I just need you to take these little bits of information and make it into something and I can do that too Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a sense of humility when someone's hiring out someone to do their writing for them that needs to be there in order for it to be done in the best possible way. Yeah, you might, you'll work with someone where they're at. You can pick up a vibe on how they are. But the sad truth is when someone like is kind of arrogant like that, it probably, you're probably not you, but they are leaving good work on the table because of the way they choose to interact with you. And that, that sucks. That's just the way it is. I'm not going to say that it sucks or it doesn't suck. I mean, I would prefer if they came to me with respect of my trade and saw me as more than just the assistant to do this, but people are the way they are. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I can work with them on their level where some people are very, no, this is the way I work. This is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it. And then they end up with these problems. Yeah. More power to you for being able to. I have a lot of my own problems. Let me tell you by doing this, Mm. I have a lot of my own issues. I have a lot of my own um, frustrations, Mm. Um, but I understand that the client is not like, they may not always be right, but the client is the one paying the bill. Amen. That is true. That is absolutely true. You know, in the end, but I also work with people until they're happy. Sure. And there's a mix. There's a fine, there's a fine art. And and it sounds like you have the, I have, I have a, a just a, I wouldn't say I have the patience that you do. So more power, more power to you for sticking through that. <laughs> Cause like I said, that sucks and the blah, blah, blah. And that's probably, that's probably an area I can improve for sure. Well, no, I don't think that that's an area that anybody should be in. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know? 
that's your superpower maybe (laughs) yeah well no if you're able if you know exactly um if you're able to be assertive enough to say hey look this is the deal i'm i'm the specialist in this and you come here and i'm the expert and you treat me like the expert or i go find another client if you're in that position that is the best position to be Mm. in and that's the best way to be um but we all have our own idiosyncrasies we have all have our own personalities but it's very important to understand what client what does your client look like what is your ideal client look like what is the best client figure out who they are and what they look like mm. and then figure out where they are like no figure out what they look like and how they behave and then figure out where they are sure so you can go and be where they are love that yes hard thing to do Every single marketer will tell you that every single person, you know, all of us will say that very few will say how. Yes. That's the magic. That's the magic uh, pill, I guess, of, of marketing is even as a writer, I can sit here and tell my clients, oh, this is exactly what you should be saying. It's still a whole nother level getting what you should be saying in front of the right people at the right time. I can tell you who it should be in front of, but even figuring out the right time and place to put it is a whole, many people in businesses spend their whole lives just constantly figuring out what that is at that time, especially with the change in marketing trends and social media and all that good stuff. Every algorithm changing constantly. Yep. And that's why an email list is so important. And also why you need to be nurturing that and segmenting it and making sure that you're sending out the right thing to the right people. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think, why do you think email has stayed so evergreen? Like it it seems like everyone keeps saying email is going to go out, email is going to go out and all the pros are saying, right, exactly. So what's your kind of take on that? Same thing as I say, when it comes to direct mail, do you go to your mailbox? Every day. (laughs) You'll go to your mailbox even to empty it out. Mm. And you may not be interested in this one. You may not be interested in that one, but you may be interested in the other one. Now, the thing is that a lot of times people don't have the time to open up the emails, but they will if it applies to them. So that's why I say it's important to nurture and segment and test your list all the time. And get rid of the ones that aren't opening up. Mm -hmm. If they haven't opened up four or five emails, get rid of them. Do them a favor. Cut them loose. Do yourself a favor because it costs money for workers off to have more, you know, when you get up to those 10, 5,000, 10,000, doesn't matter what platform you're on. You're paying more money to have those, send out those emails. Sure. The other thing is that if they haven't opened up four or five times, chances are you're going to spam and you don't want that on your domain. You know, you want to make sure that your domain has, or your email address has a reputation. Don't ask me how all that works. I don't know the technical. I just know that if you are constantly going into spams, those email programs will look at that and say, okay, this is a spammy email and put you in yeah. spam, even if it's not. Yeah. Um, and there are things Let's, that uh, you can do. Something that on the subject of email and I do very little email. I understand the importance of it. That's just not where I, my specialty falls. How have you been able to open a, use principles of story in an email subject line? Because I feel like that's all part of getting people to open, right? As a novelist, the first sentence of your novel, like I'm not, I've written a few novels, a couple novels. And the first cool. sentence 
is the most important sentence. Because when you write that sentence, that's the one that can hook them. For a novel, it's the full chapter, that, that first full chapter. Some people give you the chapter, some people give you the sentence, some people give you maybe the first few pages. Sure. But we always say that first sentence is the most important. And that's your subject line. The same thing. It's that hook. It's that thing that's going to make them most interested in opening it up. So is the subject line about you and, so, and you telling them and what you want them to do? Mm. Or what you're offering? Or is the subject line about what they need, about what they're interested in, about their problem? Love it. Is your subject line about I or is it about you? Love it. Love it. Make them feel, make them feel seen in the subject. I get up anywhere from 60 to 80% open rate. That's, um, and that is legit. And that's legit. I can show you that. Yeah. I can. Yeah. I can and that's that. great. But that's because once again, that's segmenting. That's, you know, making sure that I'm getting rid of the ones that aren't, aren't interested. Mm-hmm. And I'm always giving something of value, 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 sale, value, 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 sale. And I, w- I do find that when that sale one comes up, like they're opening up the value, value, value. And then that sale one comes up on the fourth or fifth and goes my unsubscribes. Ah, uh, yep. It's like, okay, so do you not realize that those value ones that you were opening up and you were keeping, but now it's all of a sudden a sale, like a sale one, an offer, and it's almost automatic for them to unsubscribe. Oh, because they're not. So that's the piece that I'm still working with. How do sure. I ensure that it looks exactly the same that they understand it's from the same person um especially when i do things and change things up all the time because i'm constantly testing but i you know my email list isn't it's a it's a yeah it it's for testing and learning like i've got a huge email list of it's at about eight thousand, but i've gone through and that's huge well no i've probably gone through sixty thousand email addresses by getting lists. Yeah. All because I wanted to learn, test, and figure out how, like, why do people open? Why do people not open? Is this idea of mine, my, my philosophy on email going to work? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that in the end, yes, I've even got clients out of it, which was, I was shocked. I was like, wow, I'm actually getting clients out of this. This is great. Mm. Right. Um, yeah, it was like, wow, getting followers, getting people to show up on my community and all sorts of things. So, um, and these people that don't know me from Adam, like they didn't go out searching for me. That was the other thing. Can okay. I do this on a list that was not found, created the right way? Sure. That wasn't super hot, full yeah, of hot like leads. It, yeah. It wasn't like a really well created lead gem because I was looking at learning as much as I could in a shorter period of time as I could. Mm. And not, you know, burning. I love that. Right? Because that's a challenge. It's a challenge because, oh, I, you know, you pay money so that you can get people to get to the landing page so that they want to get that white paper, ebook, or checklist, or worksheet, whatever it is that you're offering. They, you put in the lit there. People don't even put in an email for that much anymore. No, (laughs) they don't. Yeah. And when they do, maybe it's their, their designated, uh, email address for for marketing materials that they never open up and i've got yeah i've got more than a few of those 
Well, and that's the importance of pulling the people off the list, as you were saying, because that's the only way that's how you eliminate those people, give them four or five strikes, maybe, but then you got to move on. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I did have people signing up for subscribing to my digital magazine, but I was only getting 2000 to 3000 readers per issue. And it was a lot of work with no money to do that. So I was like, okay, well, I got to do something different. And then I thought, well, let me test SEO and SEO has been working very well. Tested it for three months and did very well. Hmm. And now I'm testing this podcast to see how, you know, does that work to get me more people into my sphere? I'm just testing so many different things right now. Yeah. Yeah. So are you a chronic, like, do you ever feel like you get to a place where you rest or are you a chronic tester? I'm a chronic worker, man. Yeah. I'm creative. So I always want to be doing something different, something Hmm. And you want to find that thing that work, that people like, that people want. Sure. In the end, what I've done, what I'm doing, because, you know, like if you look at my, my my website right now, it's a mishmash of different things that I've created. And you're like, what the heck do you do? And that's the opposite of what I tell my clients to do. Right. But that is also because I am working more towards finding agencies to partner with and creating a platform where brands can come and tell their brand stories. People can come and learn how to create an appealing life, business, or career through brand storytelling. Listening to things like these podcasts about finding all these little bits of information from people who are in the middle of doing it. Read the blog posts, go to the magazines, check out the videos. Just tell stories in all the ways I possibly can tell stories. And at some point, figure out how to monetize it. Love it. That's powerful. Powerful. So, uh, Johnny, thank you so much for coming by. And how can people find you? Yeah, um, there's a few ways. Johnny Holston, J-O-N-N-Y, no H, Holston, H-O-L-S-T-E-N on Instagram um, and LinkedIn. And then website is troubleshootyourmarketing.com. I so love pretty that. easy Troubleshoot to remember. Troubleshootyourmarketing.com. Troubleshoot thank you so much for joining me today. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shannon. Good luck in the rest of your hundred days. And thanks for having me. And we'll talk again soon. Listener, I hope that you learned something today. And this conversation I had with Johnny about how to tell your story on your website, or perhaps you were interested in finding out more about how to talk to your clients via email or how to know yourself better in order to understand what type of clients are best for you. If you need help with any of this, please feel free to reach out to either Johnny or myself. We would be happy to talk with you. If you'd like to know more about brand storytelling and stay up to date, go by marketappeal.com and hit that community button, join the community. Market Appeal membership is free and I will ensure that you get an email letting you know about what's going on, ideas about how to tell your brand story, and the latest on both brand appeal and appealing. Looking forward to connecting with you on marketappeal.com. Peel out.